Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. It's the podcast where I, Giles Bitter, speak to bands and artists about how they've been able to make it work for themselves. Because someone's got to do it. All these bands are working different jobs. What bands can survive without them? It's not the 90s where bands are getting signed and for their first single getting flown across the world to record a music video without any kind of storyline or treatment. Just a couple of cameras and eight crew. It doesn't happen anymore. Bands are funding their own tours, somehow paying rent. And that's all past writing and producing the records that the rest of us get to listen to every day. So that's it. That's what I'm doing here. 101 part-time jobs. And on today's episode, it's Fern Ford, drummer of the Big Moon. Brilliant band. Their album Here Is Everything really crept up on me last year and became a record that provided a lot of comfort for me. I'd put on Here Is Everything and immediately be washed away, just focusing completely on the songs and having that moment of peace and quiet that's a real rarity. And turns out I'm not alone because they're headlining the Roundhouse, the iconic the huge roundhouse in Camden on 31st of May. Fern tells me about the anticipation of all that, as well as how her drumming career started, where she grew up in Wales, and of course a slew of side jobs, some better than others, that she's had along her way. Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. Cheers to the lovely Mel Meadows for setting up this chat. And thanks to 2000 Trees who support the podcast. 2000 Trees is a brilliant independent festival in Cheltenham, just a few hours away from London on the train. It's being headlined by Softplay, formerly known as Slaves. Still Isaac and Laurie with the same old songs. That's going to be a belter. Bullet for My Valentine and Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes are also headlining amongst an amazing lineup of incredible bands that includes Prima Queen, we talk about them on this episode, Sprints, Lakes, The Oozes, Lynx, Black Honey, Brutus, Crows, loads of great bands at 2000 Trees this year. If you want to go to the festival but you haven't got your tickets yet, you can get 20 quid off by using the voucher code 101POD. That's 20 quid straight off the price of the ticket at 2000trees.co.uk using the voucher code 101POD. All right, this is Fern Ford of The Big Moon here on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Go well. Cheers! When I first started playing drums, I was like, okay, do I choose a job that makes money or do I play drums? <laughs> And how old were you then? Like what, what, kind, what stage of your life were you at then? I was 14 when I first started playing drums. And I was like, I'm from like a small town in South Wales. And it was at that time, you know, when you're in school and they're like, what do you want to do when you're, for the rest of your life? Yeah. And uh, which I think is a really intense question to ask a teenager. It is. It's so unfair. And it's actually really unfair for all those 11 plus exams as well, deciding your future so early. Yeah, I think there should be like a big sort of like... Also, you know, this is going into something else, but like, it doesn't work like that anymore. Like mm. decades ago, you'd have a career and that was it. Whereas now you flip flop between so many different things and you can change your mind. And that's, that should be encouraged, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, I had my first, I'm quite like a, once I focus on something, I'm like, that's it. I don't stop until I got it. 
yeah. I get a little yeah. bit, um, yeah, zoom in quite hard. So when I, like 20 minutes into my half hour first drum lesson, I was like, cool, this is it. So I'm going to do that early, that quick. Yeah. Like I said, I get pretty, I just felt this buzz <laughs> that I've never felt before. And I was like, well, this feels nice. <laughs> totally understand that totally yeah. understand and, and what was it like were there like bands in your school were there local gigs which part of south wales were you in because that's got such a great like tj's in newport and la pub yeah no i wasn't i wasn't part of any scene there was like no bands <laughs> and also cardiff was like a train ride away and i only really went to cardiff for christmas shopping you know like it was right when I was 16, I remember going to three gigs in one month and just being like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> this was... is your new social life. This yeah. Is new thing. But um, yeah, I wasn't part of any scene, really. And I, there wasn't, I don't think there was. I didn't know of any scene, really. But there seems to be a big, big music scene now in Cardiff. Great, yeah. Yeah, so I left. Well, I applied for um, a music academy in Guildford called the Academy of Contemporary Music. Nice. And the good thing about that is that you didn't need any points. Any, what do they call them? I don't know, the A-level like points. UCAS points. Yeah, yeah. So that was a big draw. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I'd completely lost interest in school. Well, it's such a one-way system, isn't it? I had a teacher, my form tutor. I wasn't doing my UCAS form because I wanted to do a journalism course you know I'd been commissioned by NME for an online feature and I was like that's it I'm just going to do writing now yeah and so I didn't do my UCAS form I, I didn't want to do it and she took me out into the hallway Mrs. De Hoost and she she shouted at me she said I'm yeah. going to do everything I can to kick you out of this school and it was embarrassing Honestly, what is wrong with these people they should not be teachers <laughs> it totally totally yeah so we were you surrounded by other music makers other people who could because I wonder if that's a big thing about this discussion of because basically it's about taking your art seriously yeah right and if you're surrounded by people who are doing a similar thing that's going to give you more confidence or like or more agency to feel free yeah. in doing that no there wasn't really anyone that's sort of why I felt like I had to leave yeah to sort of be around people. But my first attempt to go to a like uni or a music academy, I only got accepted for like a diploma, but I couldn't get student loan for that. So I ended right. up working in Lidl for a year, smashing up the shifts. Yeah. How was that? How was Lidl? Honestly, full respect to people working in Lidl is a tough job. Like long hours, okay pay at the time, but it's quite physical. Like yeah, there's a lot coming in and out there. Yeah, yeah. I got a <laughs> big fan Chaotic. of Lidl and uh, Aldi, just so, you know, showing out there. You are or you're not? I am, I am, the, yeah. It's the middle, it's the Isle of Shite. It's the middle Look, One bit. man's shite is another man's gold, you know? That's <laughs> true. Sometimes you need some waders. Sometimes it's Wednesday afternoon and you need a, a, new, a new wheelbarrow. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I, got, I got some lessons. I got more lessons and then I reapplied and then I got the high diploma which I could get funding for because otherwise I just at that time as well the higher diploma and the degree fees were like three and a half thousand which was like so much more feasible than I mean than it is nowadays yeah and even then that's a lot isn't it oh yeah like I was just like well I just couldn't do it without a loan but yeah and then I went to Guildford which by the way I thought was like the big city <laughs> <laughs> hey know. well you got the boiler room and you got you know yeah. trains into town did you were, you were you going to gigs when you moved to guildford was that a big big change yeah, in your suddenly life you could go go into like london and i remember it took me ages to get used to london i used to just like zone out and just go completely like i couldn't focus on anything there was so much 
noise and just yeah. um, so much to take in. I was like, yeah, I felt like a bit overwhelmed by London. But and it, did you think that like because I often I often think like a lot of artists come from smaller towns, come from villages, come from places where things aren't on their doorstep. I wonder if there's an element of that like you know, if you're going to do something, you have to try really hard to do it. You know, there's there's an element of determination that I can imagine that... Oh, yeah. You got to have... I had quite a lot of drive and I had no answers. I didn't know how I was going to do anything. That was just detailed to me. I was like, right. well, I'm just going to go to this place first, this music academy, and then hopefully I'll meet people. But let's not worry about that. Let's just try and get better at drums and just, yeah, and just try and get work and just try and get paid to do this. And whatever opportunity came up, I was just, yeah, trying to go for anything. All the auditions for like session stuff, right. band stuff, anything. What were those experiences like, those auditions? They sound quite intense. Oh, I hated it. I get really like, I would like shake and I get like really yeah. like red and yeah. I don't know. But it was, I forced myself to do it because I was like, well, maybe it'll just get easier. But I hated right. it. I hated it. <laughs> But it was more about putting myself out there and just being like, maybe even if it wasn't even about getting the stuff, you know, it was about like getting used to being uncomfortable with like musical situations and maybe I could get better. That's quite raw. It's quite like a vulnerable place to, to put yourself into. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't fun. I hated it. What was the first thing that made you think, okay, yeah, I'm on the right track here? Because I imagine those little wins when they happen, they're a big boost of confidence. Yeah, I, well, I ended up, I got an audition. I ended up getting it again, the gig, and, and I played uh, drums for Kate Nash for like Excellent. three years, which was like... Great. And I was like doing my degree, like my thesis on like literally on the road. And it was <laughs> not fun. <laughs> it was, was that a lot, a lot of writing? Yeah, like the last year of my degree was just like... Um, just writing, no, no, like barely any play, playing of drums. And that's all sort of um, like music theory? No, it was just like pick your topic, anything, and um, just write about it. What did you choose? Whether the representation of women in the media affects their progression in contemporary music. Right. That's a big subject, isn't it? Yeah, it was. And I was in my full, like, kind of, I just heard Bikini Kill for the first time, you know? I can't, I can't, yeah. <laughs> that's sort of like, Ah, yeah i got bikini kill patch right here it, it it changes you doesn't it like finding those types of bands where they're doing their own thing and it's it's such an inspiring i got into minor threat quite early i never really liked black flag yeah but i really liked the, the tour stories yeah that they would have is booking their own tours for like 50 date us tours mm -hmm. they'd go to diners and basically eat eat off people's leftover scraps from the table next to them and that had like quite a profound effect on me i'm yeah. not completely sure why but i think there was something that i just found powerful still do that people were taking control of their own lives really taking yeah. control of their own artistic output and making that their full-time thing yeah could you interview kate nash for your for your thesis i did yeah and like was that was that tour fun you know was it was it like okay this is what i'm doing now this is what i'm gonna do um yeah it was for a bit <laughs> and then it wasn't <laughs> okay but you, you could call it, you could call it time when it was time. Yeah, yeah. I felt like after a certain amount of time, I was like, okay, I think, I think it's time to move on. But yeah, and that was like a really scary thing because like 
towards the end of that, I was almost like, like, I won't go into it. But I was like, I think I'm done with drums. Like, it was like, it was got pretty rough at the end. And I was just like, fuck. And I, I found it so hard to pick up a pair of drumsticks. Wow. And then I did this, like, snare building course. <laughs> and which I feel like is like, um, it's actually by the, the guy who built my drum set, Preston Prince. He has a, a company called Tiki Drums. And yeah. He used to run these these workshops, and it, I guess like looking back now, it kind of makes sense. Like I I felt so out of love with drums that I I sort of like went literally to the core of it and just decided to build it from scratch. Like to try, I, I don't know. Like you can look at it any sort of yeah. It's quite a spiritual. I really needed to like just like not not think about it so hard and think yeah. about it as a career and just remember that I just I love drums and I love woodworking and all this stuff. So. And he's kind of said to me, like, pick up the sticks. And I spoke to him about it, and he had similar experiences. And he was actually really important, um, now I think about it, in, in encouraging me to just, like, remember that drumming is for me, you know. Even though I did, I had this job for a little bit, and I kind of, like, felt a bit beat up afterwards, there is a spark there, and, you know, you do you do love it. So just, like, find it again. And yeah, that was big. That was, I think, um, I needed that. And then a few months after that, I went for a coffee with Jules because we had a friend of a friend who, and Jules, Jules, the singer and songwriter in the band. Yeah, she was looking to start a band. And that was like three months afterwards. And I was thinking, oh, maybe this is nice. Maybe being in a band would be nice. And maybe not having, you know, like playing for like a solo artist. Maybe this is something that I need. Right. All that. Having a collaborative yeah. sort of venture starting at, starting at the start enjoying yeah. each other's company yeah and just remembering the, the joy <laughs> yeah um, yeah well it sounds like a I wonder if you're laughing because it maybe sounds like a bit like a stereotypical thing but I think it's things like that are stereotypical for a reason yeah I think you know even like I don't know reading books you can go without reading a book you'd be maybe reading too much and you sort of don't find the right book which yeah. happens a lot and then you sort of you pick up a book eventually that is up your street and you're like, oh, this is it. This yeah. is the love again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that stuff. So it's, it's a bit of magic that. So yeah. when you started playing with Jules and the sort of seeds of the big moon started happening, what was that like? Did you sort of find a, a, a rehearsal space that you'd, you'd go, you'd go to the same rehearsal space regularly? Yeah, she knew of somebody who had like a, he was a carpenter and he sort of built, it was one of those very London things of like a bigger warehouse sectioned off into like cupboards basically they were so yeah. small and this one we called it the cube it was yeah it was just <laughs> a very tiny cube and it was like a build your drum set sort of situation whereas you just have to scour around and try and find various parts and yeah and, and it was just me and Jules at first and I remember playing with her for the first time and just being like she's cool like yeah. the way she played she, Jules is a very specific it's just how Jules plays and it's like equally gnarly but like she's got I don't know if you can have a charming way to play guitar but she has yeah, a charming can. way to guitar, play guitar Definitely. and I just remember being like she's really cool I'd yeah. love to be in a band with her and yeah it was just exciting there's a bit of a Nick Drake feeling about the way she plays I think oh yeah I think so yeah now that I think about it my favorite thing is when Jules does like one of like his solos but misses <laughs> or like hit, like it lands on the wrong fret yeah and she's so unable to 
keep cool about it. <laughs> like you can tell by her face that she just does this. She she squirms. <laughs> she's she's trying to find, and she will just keep moving fret by fret until she finds the note that she's looking for. It's yeah, it's my. You favorite. know what? When you're seeing a band that you love, and you you might know the songs off by heart. When you see someone sort of play something a bit differently yeah. or, you know, like that makes an experience. That's yeah. that's a pretty special. I like that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You can expect that. <laughs> from one <laughs> No, it's fun. it's fun. She doesn't do it often, but when she does, it's, it's, it's magic. During that time, you know, I think a big part of this show and what I'm interested about hearing stories about is the way that that, you know, what you're interested in is playing music you're playing drums the way that that is going to have like an effect on your personal life maybe it's not two separate things maybe it's the same thing that you know one one is always going to have a knock-on effect towards the other you know playing music and then your personal life but did you have much pressure on yourself living in London then and trying to survive well like I should say that part of the reason I was able to do the band at the start is because I was in a relationship with somebody whose parents like underneath their house they had like a basement level mm. and we lived in there like I genuinely don't think that I would be able to have lived in London and started a band like it's yeah. it's impossible no it is like the privilege of having somebody like I paid a bit but nothing really yeah that was the reason I was able to do it yeah and yeah I think I couldn't have done the band without that or if I did it would have been so tricky my first flat in Elephant and Castle was 250 quid for my room a month. Yeah. And it's like, if you get lucky, don't question it, right? Yeah, that's it. But yeah, that's part. That's a massive, yeah, massive thing. But Was there a lot of part-time work going on there? Was, was there... Oh my God. Like I've, I've done... <laughs> what have I done? I've got an MVQ2 in spectator safety. <laughs> Great. So honestly, when I'm playing drums, I used to do like safety stewarding. So when I'm playing drums, sometimes I just scan sometimes the room. And if I see something, I'm like, somebody got check that person out. Like they look like they're going to faint that, you know. Wow. And so I, I'm always like danger. But like, yeah, spectator safety, a silver service. Yeah. I hated that. Like all casual zero hour stuff. Like, yeah, the silver service stuff is pretty miserable, isn't it? Ah, the people that you encounter, it's just the worst of the worst. Like I just. This is the thing is it's always been good for me to be, I think, to be around those kinds of people because it's just a constant reminder to not treat people like shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely reminds you to be polite and just to like P's and T's. Yeah, you also don't know what other people are going through, you know, and it's just like, come on. But yeah, silver service. Oh, um Go back to the crowd safety. What kind of events would you be working at? I used to work mainly at sports places. So I worked the, they call it the spirit of rugby at Twickenham Stadium. And so that was like the Royal Box area. What was that like? You get quite a lot of interesting characters going to the rugby. You say that they all, this is like two kinds of people, older rich folk slash like aristocratic. Maybe I'm being polite. And then your rugby lads who are all wearing their salmon trousers and their rugby shirts. (laughs) Yeah, it was interesting. But yeah, once a guy had a a stroke in the hallway that we were sort of like sectioned all around, you have your little points, but you can always have eyes with people, with your colleague. Yeah, yeah. And so this guy just went down and then we just, I'm smiling because he's fine. 
yeah. but um, <laughs> we were just like phone and then one of us just went got the phone called the medical people and then within two minutes they were there and this guy just got out and then straight away it happened in like five ten minutes he was gone like he they took him and it was one of those things where we then went back to standing in doorways for like another six hours and then you're like that was a cool five minutes like and you didn't know what happened to him he was totally fine like he was totally fine yeah. after but it was the most boring job and then for five minutes it was like fuck <laughs> um yeah it was really intense was there like, would you be able to sort of like basically sort of sleep on the job a little with your eyes open kind of thing i used to you know when you put your foot and then you put your di- your foot directly in front of it uh-huh i used to count the measurements of each room i would be in by doing that <laughs> by foot yeah, foot by foot. Isn't that funny? Like the games that you play with yourself, the games that you make up when you're in one of those scenarios. Well, you get paid for it. Fuck yeah, it. fuck. It was so boring, but um, it was like, a, you know, it was like decent money. And Could you write in your head? Have you ever been sort of a, a drummer in your in your mind? Can you can you do nah. that kind of thing? I guess a bit different with drums. Yeah. Playing, playing solo is different. No, you just sort of staring at walls a lot. <laughs> Um, and then anytime somebody would come, you'd be you're like dying to open the door for him. You know, you're like, please give me something to do. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One hundred one part-time jobs. 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 Two thousand and fourteen, you started. Yeah. And then, so the first record came out a few years after that. Yeah. That's a good amount of time of practicing and, and like, yeah. moreover, thinking about your vision, thinking about, you know, how you want it to sound, how you want it to look, the whole package. I mean, looking back on it now, that period of time, you know, were you thinking about that every day or were you letting it come to you? About the record or like... Yeah, about the record and like, you know, how you wanted it to sound or and look, you know. Honestly, like, I think you can, you can sort of, it's a bit ramshackle at the start. <laughs> We were throwing things together, like like the uh, uh, single covers. Jules just did on like some hacked software that was so clunky, <laughs> and it was just all done like the night before that it was meant to be done. And we were like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> it was not a, maybe on Jules's part. I think it's just it, my experience of like the first record is completely different than hers because like she'd been in bands for years and years and years and. This was the first time it could like they were her songs, and she finally got to do it her way. Yeah, and so maybe she did think harder about it. I look at it and think it's pretty ramshackle. I'm like, did you think too hard about it? Well, I suppose as a group, if there's four of you, yeah, you're all gonna have you know your own sort of mindsets and your own sort of journeys of of what you think about whether you think about artwork, or yeah. photos or production. Yeah, there was always like a. It's always been a democracy with like a. At the start, there was more of a like leader, like Jules. Like I said, she like wrote the songs and 
she still writes the songs, but at, at the start she would be like, I think the drum should be like this. I think the guitar should be like this. And it was like, okay, cool. And then sometimes they'd be like, I don't know what the drum should be. I used to be like a human drum machine where she'd like be like switching presets where she'd ask for something and then I'd go through all the options, all the different configurations of, of a beat that she had in her mind. Right. And then she'd pick one. And it'd be like that. It'd be like, okay, what about this? What about this? What about this? And she'd always yeah. pick the first. <laughs> and I'd go through like 15. But yeah, so like at the start, she she had way more of a, like a dual sort of led the whole thing. But as we've made more albums, she's, I think, sort of like less precious. And also we're a tighter band and we know how each other play now and write. Yeah. So sometimes she'd be like, okay, Soph will write a guitar part there. She sort of already has an idea of what Soph will probably write. Right. And this, yeah, there's a lot more um, room now. And you'll have different jobs in the in the band as stuff like progressed and you know there was sort of more admin to do and more things to figure out. You know, you could talk about 101 part-time jobs. Yeah. I mean, all up. the nuts and bolts. That's everyday shit, right? Yeah. Well, like for a while, I told managed us. Right. Fuck, man. Like I, <laughs> you got the thousand yard stare. Yeah, I'm just remembering all the time. I, I was talking to somebody the other day about this. It's so tragic. I'm gonna tell you, but I remember we were doing this tour in America, and we were playing with our friend Marika Hackman because we played on her record, and so we were doing this joint tour. So it was like two shows a night. And you're dri- and it's America, and you're driving in a van, and it's it's big. That country's massive. Um, mm. For anyone who doesn't know, and it's a, you're talking like minimum four hours driving, and then it could be then up to like nine hours drive, and then a show, and tour managing. Yeah, so driving, tour managing, and playing two shows. And I just remember, just like yeah, you get off stage and you're straight in the promoter's office. No, packing up loading the van, promoter's office, settle the show, drive to the hotel. And then like one hotel we got, it was so gross. And, but it was the only thing we can afford. And it was like blood stains and like hairs, like pubes, I think all around the bathroom and some like other sort of stains, like on the bed. And I was like, this is fucking rank. What am I doing with my life? And we just, we were all in our coats and we just laid on top of the bed with our coats. And if you're the tour manager, that's your job, right? Booking well, somewhere. that one, I didn't, this was our manager. That's on our manager. Okay, no, no. Great. It was, it was literally all we could afford. Like it, it was, you know, it was nice to have, nice not sleep in the van. You know what I mean? Like it yeah, was. Yeah. But yeah, like I remember we were doing this promo session for someone. I can't remember. It was like in between recording and then I was like okay I need to go for a wee so I went for a wee and as I was weeing like my cheek felt itchy but like and so I like I like rubbed my cheek and it was wet and I realized that the release of weeing made me cry I was so tired that just the release of weeing I just started leaking oh my god and I was like Fuck. That's like some primal <laughs> bodily functions. Yeah, I was just like oh that's my scary. God. And then another like another American tour was again it was tour managing and playing, but only one show. 
I rem- I sat on the plane, like buckled up and just started crying. And I wasn't sad. I was not sad at all. I was just so tired that yeah. my body was like, thank you. We're going home. Like we need to sleep. So what's the solution to that? Is it to, to, to like, A, talk about it with each other and be like, look, this is not... Because I imagine in that moment, it's probably, you know, quite easy to keep some of those fears or anxieties to yourself. Yeah, it's like I sort of slightly bring it on myself sometimes because if I see a job that needs doing, I'm like, well, I'll just do it. Yeah. But I've realised literally on in, in the last year that it's just too much burnout yeah and so like when we came back to doing stuff after the pandemic I remember being like having like a conversation with our tour manager being like I'm not driving anymore like I'm not doing anymore it's not fun for me I just want to enjoy this you know and it's because it got taken away for a bit I was like it really made me think about all the extra stuff and I imagine that's not that might not have been easy for you to say, no, I'm not doing that. You know, you seem like someone who wants to do things. You're a doer. I, I think that I, I had so much time to think about how exhausting it was that I was like, and I really wanted to be in the band. And I think that I choose being in the band, but it meant that I got, I got to choose to not do other things. Yeah. Also, yeah. it's just like, I said that and then the tour manager was like, cool. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I really built this up in my head. Like, this is going to be a big conversation like oh what if, you know and I've always been like like I've always liked to be the reliable one like you can read into that all you want but like like that's why I play keys and drums at this, and sometimes at the same time is because I remember like when we first started and we needed to play like we had some songs with like organ parts on it I was yeah. like challenge accepted like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna figure out how to do it and now I'm like, for fuck's sake, like what? <laughs> this extra stuff that I have to do rather than just playing drums. But in my head back then, I was like, well, it's helpful because we don't have to find somebody else to play keys because it was so hard to find everyone in the band. And then we don't have to pay anyone because we can't pay anyone. And also, I wonder if I can do it. Like, yeah. you know, sort of yeah. challenge. But now I'm just like, I look at my setup sometimes and I'm like, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Bands seem to be in a different position now compared to, I don't know, 50 years ago. But in terms of a team, in terms of having, you know, roadies, a tour manager, auxiliary players, yeah. it does seem a lot more like, like industry-wide. There is, it's probably because there's less money in the industry. Yeah. That oh, I think everything comes down to money, doesn't it? Yeah, like... You know, even up until last year, Soph and I were doing like bicycle career, you know, like we were delivering people's groceries and on bikes. Yeah. <laughs> like that was last year, you know, and I've started getting a bit more production work now, which is helping because that, that actually got a little bit like sketchy. It was a bit dangerous. But the production work was what it was just thin, thinning out, was it? Oh, no, so the bicycle career job was oh. getting dangerous. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, cycling is always, it always looks pretty terrifying. Yeah, but that, you know, like that, that's last year. Like it's still, you know, it's still so hard. And, and the reason I had to do that is to be able to like pay for rent. And, and it's also because it was around that time that we were working on the album ourselves. And that was really tricky, making the album, because it meant I had to stop doing the bike 
stuff for a little bit and then suddenly you're just like fuck when am I gonna find this extra cash and that production work you've produced for Prima Queen have you yeah me and Jules that's brilliant they are so good yeah they're really really good at what they do and they're also really really lovely which is you know it's that combo is not always there Definitely. I just discovered Louise is my neighbour. Okay. We were doing an episode of this and we were saying we're in Deptford and she can see my, my bin. She can see my front door. Oh, no way. I used to live in Deptford. Whereabouts? Um, Frankham Street. Yeah, Frankham Street. I love Deptford. Deptford yeah. is great. Deptford's the only place I've lived as an adult that I thought this is, this is home. Oh, that's nice. You know the coffee shops, you know the people working at all the shops. Yeah. There's a community. Did you enjoy it here? Well, I moved in in um, December 19. Right. And so there was that, yeah, that, that Christmas and then everything shut down. A lot of hanging out. So it was, I was in my flat for most of the time. Did you ever go to Big John's when they opened up the front and they were serving some nice cocktails out the front? No, I didn't. I didn't. It, that's the thing. My experience of Deptford was like the opposite of what people love about it, you know? Yeah. Because it was, yeah, yeah just happened to be a global pandemic. Well, with Prima Queen, have you been producing their their latest stuff? No, so we did four tracks and then they've just made an EP with Ali Chant, I think. Yeah, so we just did a couple of sessions. And doing that production stuff, I mean, from my point of view, I think I was quite late on to the way that musicians were sort of kind of splitting their like career time between making their own music and producing for others perhaps mm-hmm. it's just become a bit more transparent and people are talking about it more openly now but yeah. when sort of artists like thundercat started getting really popular and you realize oh these are these are artists musicians they're producers was there a moment that you thought that you realized oh you know your future is going to be in production as well as performing um i didn't think too hard about it like while the pandemic was happening <laughs> I mean yeah. so it still is but you know I had a lot of time and I was always I've always felt like we're really lucky that we got to we've been able to work in like some really nice studios some with some great people and I always enjoyed asking the engineers like what does that do what does that do and I was always interested but I didn't think I never thought much about it and then yeah during the lockdown and I'd been writing my own music and producing my own music and I learned a lot through that. And then I just started to get like quite hooked on it. And then I started like doing some like online courses and then nice. trying to just understand it a bit more. And then when it came to, where was it? I think oh, I started getting more into it and Jules was, we got approached by Prima Queen. I think this is the way around it was. We got approached by Prima Queen to say, would you like to produce like these two tracks and then that was the first time and I remember <laughs> I remember driving to the little studio that they'd booked and just Jules and I turn into each other and be like do you know how to produce <laughs> and, and I was like uh, no <laughs> that is great um but we were just like <laughs> we was like okay it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine <laughs> And it actually was more than fine. It was really fun and I really liked how it worked out. And yeah, so, you know, it was also no sweat because the first one we were like, obviously we didn't charge and it was just like, a let's experiment together, you know? Like yeah. They, yeah. they got to like get their track rec- recorded and we could collaborate basically. We just got to collaborate with each other, which was really fun. 
And there's an energy there. There's a good energy when you're experimenting because expectations practically, you know, you're there to have fun. It seems. Yeah, totally. It should always be fun. You know, I I think this is like such a cool job and I love the sort of air within the studio. It's just like this feeling you get, which is like, can be like simultaneously like really stressful, which is, and it's the thing I kept thinking while we were working on our record and trying to, trying to get that to work a good place which was like, there are all the possibilities. <laughs> I remember being like, yeah. fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> I suppose that is there that element, do you mean that in a way like fuck as in, like you kind of want to feel some control? <laughs> it's just like, it's like going into like a really chaotic bookshop and then you're looking for a book and you're like, where <laughs> the fuck is this book? <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yeah, and you're like, it's you somewhere. And what I I haven't been doing it long but the more I've been doing it the more I've got to enjoy the looking for it rather than just just focusing on finding it and that that's like more fun now whereas at the start I was just a bit like ah yeah great to hear and coming up to the roundhouse I know we mentioned it before I pressed record but I mean how how's that feeling you know the record the record's you know been out for for a good amount of time now here is everything yeah and it's so good it, it was on my fifth listen I was like this is the best listen you know and, it's, and it keeps on going that's cool it's, it's an amazing record you've had some time to reflect and decompress have that have a bit of time out before getting back into it what's it like right now leading up to the roundhouse show I suppose that's the biggest thing on your horizon is it right now yeah it's the biggie well we actually start rehearsals for it in two days because we're going to add a couple more new like tracks from the album. What, as a, a, a little extra release? Some tracks from the session? Yeah, so we're sort of introducing two new songs yeah, to the set that we haven't worked on yet. And we've we never played live. Which are those two songs from the record? Um, we're unsure about that. Between My Very Best, Lady Bay and Sucker Punch. Nice. And the instrumentation there, is, is that the thing to rehearse? The arrangement. Yeah, because, you know, when you're in the studio, you're like, let's put that there, let's do that, let's do this. And then suddenly you're like, fuck, we got to play this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it'll be fun. Like, And also after zooming in, you know, on the production of it and just literally being able to listen to a part, see the waveform, you know, and like visualize yeah. the waveform and yeah. zooming in so hard. It's really nice now to play shows and obviously you got to play the parts, right? But it's more like, instinct and it's more about feel and it's less about getting it correct and uh-huh. the best version of it is just about bringing it like to life sort of and to have yeah. fun with it and just you you think less hard about it or I do and it feels like just like playing muscle memory yeah yeah enjoying it yeah and just like yeah you're not you're not getting to it's not intricate anymore. It's not so intricate anymore. It's just yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. just the four of us and we're just having fun playing these songs. And that's what's really exciting about the Roundhouse is like, yeah, it's our bigger show. And it doesn't matter what kind of show, if it's the smallest or biggest, it's just, there's always just going to be us four on stage. And so that's the Amazing. kind of thing I try and focus on if I ever start to get a little bit like freaked out or get in my head a little bit. I just think it's just, a, it's just the same yeah, you know, it's the spirit. You, you, you've been practicing this whole time. You're, you're doing what you do every other day. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just trying to make, make sure I feel the excitement. Fern, thanks so much for being up for this. I really oh. appreciate your time. No, thanks for having me. It's been fun. 
I end these by asking people for their most memorable work gaffes. For example, I worked in Greenwich uh, for a summer. I worked with no apply, no references or qualifications to do so. I looked after some Spanish children, Spanish kids. I was their tour guide for the summer. Right. And I lost them on the tube. Fuck. And we, their parents had paid for these sessions that I totally misread and we didn't go to. I've sort of tended to, that's sort of been a bit of a, in my daytime sort of part-time jobs that I've done, I've usually had some fun by messing up and trying to get away with it by being a bit cheeky where possible. I wondered if you've got any similar Similar story. They could be. They could be much worse than that. You could have, uh, you know, broken something quite expensive or um, I don't know. upset someone. The only thing that's coming to mind is when I did session session drumming. I remember I had a backing track and I was in the wrong place in the song. The wrong place in the backing track. Yeah. Yeah, and I counted in wrong and I didn't realize this is like my first tour. And it was live. It was a show. It was a live show. And then we hit into the chorus and nothing happened. And then halfway through like the second bar, like randomly the backing track just went pow. And it was like horns, strings. It was like fucking glockenspiel. It was like, oh, (laughs) it all hit at the exact wrong time. And I like, like kind of hit the machine to try and turn it off. And as I was, you know, I was, I was dropping like drum beats, you know, I was just like dropping the beat. And I was like, I just got off stage and I was just like well I'm fired I wasn't fired but I was like this is the worst moment of my life it was fucking mortifying how do you deal with that you just try and keep cool apologize I I turned it off as soon as I could and (laughs) I apologized profusely like I was just like I'm so sorry and we're all human we we all make mistakes that happens honestly yeah, it does just happen. And what's that Miles Davis quote? There's no such thing as a wrong note. It's the note that comes afterwards. <laughs> that's quite a that's quite a rosy eye glass way. Yeah, no, I think I think Miles Davis is wrong. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was bad. I I, I did it bad. <laughs> that's funny, Fern. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you. I love the record. I love the Big Moon. Oh, Looking forward uh, to the Roundhouse show. Me too. Great. Thank you. Then cheers. Cheers. So there was Fern Ford from The Big Moon. Their album Here Is Everything is totally fantastic. Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. I do weekly episodes called The Playlist. They're usually about four minutes long and I crack on with about five or six songs that I'm really loving over the last week. The next one of those is coming tomorrow and then on Thursday, I've got Suds, the excellent band from Norwich, just about to go on tour with Pool Kids, just signed to Big Scary Monsters, a great future ahead of that band, and they are totally lovely people that run their own record and secondhand clothes shop. So there's basically nothing to absolutely love there. That's on Thursday. So subscribe if you want to get notified for future episodes. If you're feeling generous, please feel free to leave a review or just rate this podcast. All that stuff helps to get spotlighted on Spotify and Apple and that sorts of things. Nice one. See you tomorrow with the playlist. Here's some Cox Barra. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every bleeding minute I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media podcast.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.